You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio wherever you get your podcasts. How do you make a radio ad for an 8K TV that conveys the feeling of 33 million pixels with over a billion shades of color hitting your eyeballs? This is the best we can do. Samsung Neo QLED 8K. Unreasonably good. Welcome into Stacking the Box, August 28th. I am Matt Verderam. Thank you for joining us. We have a great show for you today. We're going to talk about the week that was in the NFL. We're going to touch on each game. And then we're going to welcome in Don Banks, 16 years a writer at Sports Illustrated, now works at Patriots.com. We'll ask him about both the Patriots and topics around the league. And finally, Josh Hill will come into the show. He will talk about... Uh, a NFC team that he does not believe will be all that good. That's his dying on the hill segment. We'll also talk about some other teams that we fear might have a rough season and finish out with. The NFC seems to have a lot of contenders, but does the AFC have anybody who can challenge the Patriots in a serious fashion? So we'll get to all that. But let's start off by talking about week three in the preseason. Everybody knows that is the most important week. Gives you an idea of what you might see in the regular season. And the first game was Miami at Philadelphia. Eagles won the game 38-31. It was a wild game. But my takeaways from it, for Miami, the offense is going to have to score a lot of points to win games. And it might be able to. The offensive line worries me a little bit, but I like the talent on the outside. Devontae Parker looks like a player, had two catches in that game, 78 yards. I'm just really worried about that defense. The defense was getting torched routinely. They weren't getting enough pressure on Wentz. Wentz was able to slice and dive sideline, then took a pass interference on a deep ball in the end zone. Those are the type of things you can't have. And I'm just concerned if I'm Philadelphia that my front seven is going to be wasted a little bit because teams can throw the ball so quickly against what is a struggling secondary. The other game on Thursday night, Carolina and Jacksonville, a battle of the 1995 expansion teams, my takeaway with Carolina is they're fast. They're much faster offensively. Christian McCaffrey opens up some different things for that offense. He's a Swiss Army knife. He can do it all out of the backfield, out of the slot. I think they'll even split him out wide sometimes. 
Cam Newton and his first action since getting surgery in the offseason. He looked good. I, I really like, too, their offensive line on the interior much better, healthier, and it looked that way. And I think that's a big key for Carolina to get back to the playoffs where they were, of course, and they went 15-1 a couple years ago. Jacksonville is going to struggle this season because they flat out just don't have a quarterback. They can't play. Chad Henney got an opportunity to start. He was terrible. Blake Bortles came in. He was better, 12-16, a buck 25 and a touchdown. But again, that's against backups largely. Uh, Bortles was named the starter for week one. I think that's going to be a situation where we're going to see multiple quarterbacks and not because of injury. Uh, defensively, Jacksonville was terrible. They could not do anything in the one drive that Carolina had all their starters in. So that's a legitimate concern. I think Jacksonville, it's another year where they win free agency, but they're not going to win much once uh, the real games get rolling here. Okay. Moving into the Friday games, and of course, the big news of the week. The Patriots blow out the Lions early, but unfortunately, Julian Edelman lost for the year. Torn ACL. I think that has a huge impact on New England. I, I still believe that the Patriots are the best team in the AFC. I still think you could argue they're the best team in football. And so you'd say, well, how could it have that big of an impact then? If Gronk gets hurt and the man has played two full seasons in his entire career, they all of a sudden have a pop gun offense, even with Tom Brady. And I, I know that Belichick and Brady overcome just about anything, but Edelman being out is a crushing blow to a team that with him is almost unbeatable. Okay. If you look at a column that I wrote on Monday, stacking the box, the written version of it, uh, they almost never lose with Julian Edelman. I, I want to say, and I don't have it in front of me, I believe the statistic was something to the effect of 27-3 and three when Edelman's played the last couple of years, and they're 3-4 and four without him. The offense goes down significantly in points per game. Rob Gronkowski's stats dip significantly when Julian Edelman's not on the field. I think it really matters. I still think the Pats are easily the best team in the AFC East. I still think they're going to have home field advantage. They're going to be the team to beat in January. But all of a sudden now, you're one injury away to a guy who always gets hurt from being in real trouble. So for that team, yeah, you're still probably the best team, but you've taken a significant hit. And we're going to see how it plays out in 10 days from Monday here as we record this when they play the Chiefs to open up the regular season. Detroit, look, you just have to play better. You're down 24 nothing. Hi, I'm Flo from Progressive. You know me. I'm a huge football fan. But it can be stressful for us super fans. So Progressive is going to help take your mind off your team for a moment. Instead of thinking about how your team threw the wrong ball on the wrong net, just think about how Home Court Explorer lets you easily compare our direct rates with multiple companies. Well, hope this distraction about Progressive's Home Quote Explorer was helpful. It sure helped me from stressing about my team for a bit. Anyway, go sports! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. In the first quarter, at home, I don't care it's preseason. I don't care that you're facing New England. You were a playoff team last year. You need to play better than that. It's one thing to give up, okay, 10 points in the quarter, 24 points. That was a disgraceful effort by Detroit, and Detroit has more talent than that. I don't think the Lions are a great team. I think they'll battle for a playoff spot this year. I did like what I saw out of Amir Abdullah. He had 60 yards on the ground. I think he's going to be a better player than we've seen here from him. He's been hurt. I do like that, but you need to be better if you're the Lions in that game. You don't have to win. You don't have to you know, dominate by any stretch. Nobody expected that, but 24 nothing in the first quarter, that's a pathetic effort, and Jim Caldwell is going to have to nip that in the bud. The other game on Friday night, Seattle and Kansas City. Seahawks won the game. It was an ugly game, a ton of penalties on both sides. 
Uh, the Chiefs had five or six drops in the first half of the game. Tyreek Hill had a couple that cost him, I would say conservatively, 60 to 70 yards total. Uh, the, the Chiefs just did not play well in terms of catching the ball, but I thought the offensive line looked really good, and that's a positive for the Chiefs. The offensive line under Andy Reid's tenure has been uh, so-so to bad, and this line, they've invested a lot of money in it, especially on the right side. We saw the extension of $40 million given to Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, the right guard, up-and-coming player. He's been a real star for them in preseason, and Mitchell Schwartz, one of the best right tackles in the league. He got a five-year deal last offseason. So the Chiefs have invested, and it's paying off. I think that line is is going to be a force for them in the regular season. With Seattle, I really liked what I saw to them offensively. Russell Wilson threw for 200 yards and a little over a half's worth of work. And Chris Carson, seventh-round draft pick running back, he can play. I think he's going to see some real time. In fact, I think he's going to be the starting running back uh, over Eddie Lacy. He had 46 yards on eight carries on the ground against a good Kansas City front, granted without Justin Houston, but still a good front. He also had a 37-yard reception in the game. He's somebody who gives them some versatility, gives them another weapon. I really think they have something in Carson. He's a shifty back, and he's tough to bring down. So now we get to the Saturday games. Had a big slate of them. Start with the defending NFC champs, Arizona and Atlanta. Uh, I thought Atlanta, look, they've been sluggish throughout the preseason. They're 0-3 now. Not a cause for concern, but something to watch. Matt Ryan... He didn't play particularly well. Again, not something I'm really worried about. It. We know what Matt Ryan is, but he was inaccurate. He missed some throws high. Uh, for Arizona, John Brown looks like he's really getting back to that form we saw his rookie year. Of course, nickname being Smoke. Very fast, a dangerous route runner, and Carson Palmer found him early and often that game, a couple of touchdowns for him. I really liked what I saw to John Brown, and if he could get back to being a real weapon for that team, I think Arizona's poised to really rebound nicely from what was a disappointing season in 2016. The Bills and the Ravens in Baltimore, ugly game. The score was 13-9. to It reflected that. Uh, the, the Bills just flat out can't move the ball. And Tyrod Taylor left the game with a concussion. That's another concern. Uh, Nathan Peterman might be the starter opening day, but we'll see. Maybe Taylor can get back. It was, it was a lackluster performance, to say the least, really by both teams. But Buffalo, if we weren't talking about the Jets as the worst team in the league by a wide margin, we'll get to them next, uh, Buffalo would be in that conversation. They are going to struggle. And you know what? That front office is okay with that because they're trying to rebuild the team. But it's going to be a long year in Buffalo. As for Baltimore, they better hope that Joe Flacco is not significantly hurt here he has not practiced once with that back injury they keep talking about how close he is they've been talking about it for a month at some point I need to see it to believe it Ryan Mallett can't play flat out should not even be in the NFL he's a bad quarterback he's a bad backup quarterback he's inaccurate he takes too long to go through his reads yes he has a big arm no it doesn't matter if the Ravens do not get a full year out of Flacco they have no shot the schedule is conducive to the Ravens making a push for the playoffs, and the defense is excellent. I love their front seven. They've got a good secondary, and they've got a really good head coach in John Harbaugh who knows how to win. But that being said, that offense is so bad. And if Flacco doesn't come back and play closer to his 2012 version than what we've seen since, I just don't see it. I don't see an offense that can do enough. Um, Moving on, Jets and Giants – you look at the final score and say, wow, it's a barn burner, 
the Giants were up 29-3 at halftime, and the way that game looked reflected that score. Christian Hackenberg throws a couple of pick sixes. One was his fault. The other one, you could say partially his fault, partially the fault of the receiver. The Marshall and Odell Buckham weren't in the game. The offensive line still had some struggles, which really concerns me. I think if there's anything that's going to be the downfall of the Giants, it's going to be that line. They just can't block. But the defense looks great, and Jason Pierre-Paul looks the best I've seen him in years. Really looks like he's got his legs under him. I'm excited to see what that defensive line can do. Indianapolis and Pittsburgh. Indy wins an ugly game. Scott Tolzien played fairly well against Pittsburgh. The Colts are going to struggle without Andrew Luck, and he's still on the pup list. He hasn't come off that list yet, hasn't practiced. It looks like he's going to miss the start of the year at this juncture. I don't know that the Colts can win a game without him. But I give them credit for at least looking capable against Pittsburgh in the preseason. What does that mean? I don't think much. But it was a nice effort by a Colts team I think most people thought would get waxed in week three of the preseason at Pittsburgh. So kudos there. The Steelers... I don't read too much into that they didn't play well against Indianapolis in a preseason game. I think they're bored. I don't think they really care. That being said, the one issue I do have with them, their secondary has got to play better. They are giving up huge holes in the passing game. Teams are throwing into wide-open zones. Man-to-man, they're not playing well. Pittsburgh will get away with that against teams like Cleveland and Indianapolis and Houston and all these teams that struggle to throw the ball anyway in the regular season. When they get to the playoffs, and they will get to the playoffs barring a ton of injuries, they will have no shot to beat the Patriots. None if they don't get better in that secondary. It has been a real struggle for them for years, and it's continued despite some recent investments in draft picks like Sean Davis and Artie Burns. Cleveland and Tampa Bay, uh, game was tied at three when the starters got pulled at halftime. You know, Ultimately, I liked what I shot at Deshaun Kaiser. You look at the numbers, say, well, he wasn't all that accurate. You know, he started out the game 5-15, and 15, but he throws the ball down the field. He's aggressive. I like his pocket presence. He knows how to move within the pocket and how to slide out of it. Keeps his eyes downfield. The only thing I see with Kaiser that I think is really going to be a problem for him early in his career, and I expect him to learn through this. Q Jackson, very good coach for him. He locks on to his first receiver like a lot of rookies do, and if that read's not there, it's a problem, and a lot of times he throws it anyway. And in the regular season, teams are going to game plan for that. They're going to throw things at him. They're going to lock up his brain a little bit with different looks, stunts, twists, blitzes, overloads, and it's going to be a problem. But I love Kaiser's upside, and I love the fact that the Browns are going to start him week one because he is the best quarterback on that roster right now, no doubt about it. The Buccaneers, now, they didn't play some of their stars in this game, so you have to take it with a grain of salt, but Jameis Winston has got to be better. Looking at him statistically, 17 to 27, 200 yards, but he throws a brutal red zone pick, and he's done it now two weeks in a row. The one got nullified on a questionable call by the refs in Jacksonville. This one stood to Jabril Peppers. He has to be better than this. The Buccaneers have not had expectations the first couple years of his career. They have them now. And if he goes out and costs them games because he's throwing dumb interceptions at the goal line, people are going to go crazy, and rightfully so. If there's been one knock on Andrew Luck throughout his career, it's he takes too many chances. And a lot of people feel that he has to take him with the Colts because they just don't have a lot of talent around him. Jameis Winston doesn't have that excuse. He has a lot of talent around him. And if he continues to throw bad interceptions, the criticism is going to start coming. And, right, and again, deservedly so. I, I still think the Buccaneers are going to be a good team this year. Too much talent not to be, and I like Dirk Cutter a lot. But Winston has to be better than he's been. Getting to the late games on Saturday, Chargers and Rams. 
Chargers jumped out to a 21 nothing lead, held on, 21-19. Like, defense, I think for the Chargers on the edges is phenomenal. Bosa, he can play. Ingram can play. We know the corner duel of Verrett as long as he's healthy and Hayward, excellent. Questions I have with the Chargers up the middle of the field. That's something the Rams couldn't take advantage of. Rams just aren't built very well offensively yet. Uh, but the Chargers look good. Like Phillip Rivers looked terrific. Threw a nice deep ball touchdown to Travis Benjamin. And my main takeaway for the Chargers, Keenan Allen looks 100% back. Really running well, cutting well. We know he's one of the best route runners in the league, and he looked like it against the Rams. As far as Jared Goff is concerned, he didn't look as bad as he looked last year, but he didn't look as good as he looked a week ago against the Raiders. Uh, had a fumble that was turned to a, a touchdown by Melvin Ingram on a, on a return. Uh, threw an ugly pick to Jason Verrett. He's got to be better than this. He had some nice throws too, but he's got to be more consistent if the Rams are going to do anything in the NFC West. And and frankly, at this point, Goff should be ahead of overthrowing a receiver by 15 yards. It's inexcusable. I don't care that it's a new offense. You need to be better than that. And uh, we'll see what he does here. At Progressive, you can get 24-7 protection, even if you break the space-time continuum. Ted, wake up. What? You look exactly like me. I am you, Ted, from the future. You need to call Progressive. What? Why? Well, they have 24-7 protection when you bundle your home and auto. And my teleportation cube just smashed into your car. Wait, you crashed into my car? Technically, it's our car. Progressive offers more than a great price when you bundle home and auto. We offer round-the-clock protection, which literally means anytime. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. The early part of the season gets going. Saints and Texans. The Saints have not given up a touchdown in two games. Now, the Chargers barely played any of their starters last week, but the Texans played most of theirs. Didn't have DeAndre Hopkins in the game, so that certainly matters. But still, a shutout is a shutout. The Saints have looked better on defense. I like the combination of Rankins and Cameron Jordan up front. Did a nice job. The Texans... Easy takeaway. Offensive line's got to be better. Tom Savage reminds me a lot of Trevor Simeon. Not a big arm, not a mobile guy. He's fairly accurate, though. If you give him time, he'll find somebody. But Tom Savage is not going to make this offense better. They are what they are. They need to be better around him. And right now, I don't see that. Deshaun Watson, for anybody who thinks he should start, please sit down and watch that film. Uh, He threw a pick. He easily could have thrown three more of them. I like his upside. I still think Deshaun Watson can be a player in this league for sure. He's just a rookie, and it's early on in his maturation. It's a hard offense to pick up, but it's evident that he needs to be sat on that bench and given second-string reps in practice and let him learn that way because he's just simply not ready right now. Raiders and Cowboys, my takeaway is the same for both teams. The offenses are great. Defenses aren't. The offenses on those two teams are going to have to score a lot of points, and if they don't, real problems. Uh, I think Dak Prescott's going to have a tremendous year. He is the real deal. He can throw from any platform. He, he sees the defense well. He feels the rush. I think behind that offensive line and with Ezekiel Elliott, when he is on the field with him, great, great offense. I think maybe along with Pittsburgh, the best offense in the NFL. The question is, can they stop anybody? And it's the same thing with the Raiders. We know there's talent on that offense. Marshawn Lynch looks like he's fresh. He should be. Had the, Of course, he retired last year, so he should have really fresh legs early in the year. We'll see if he wears down toward the end. But I love the Raiders' offense. Great line. Carr should only be getting better. But, man, that defense is just – it's a struggle for the Raiders to get off the field. Green Bay and, and Denver. Denver is – a team that, let's face it, they're going to have to win defensively. Trevor Simeon was okay, threw a bad pick, 
And I think it also should be mentioned that offensive line has to be better. They add Ronald Leary, Garrett Bowles. They were beaten routinely inside and around the edges by Green Bay. That can't happen. Uh, the Packers, not a lot of takeaways there. I thought they played better defensively. They look like a faster defense, a younger defense. I like Randall at corner. I think he's going to mature. Uh, offensively, there's nothing to say. They, they didn't have Aaron Rodgers for more than you know, a series and a half, so really nothing there. On Sunday, we'll roll through quick. Bears-Titans, I thought the Bears, uh, loss of Cam Meredith towards ACL, maybe even some more damage. That's rough. He's a good young player at 66 catches, 888 yards last year. Uh, they were depending on him to be, if not the number one, at least a real good number two. Now he's gone. Uh, I do like Tanner Gentry, undrafted out of Wyoming, had a deep ball uh, catch for a touchdown. Looked really, really good. Um, I I was really, really impressed by him. As for the Titans, uh, that offense has to be better. They have no touchdowns against the Bears or the Jets until the fourth quarter. I know they're without their starting receivers, but come on now. You've got to do something. Um, it's been it's been a struggle for Tennessee at this point. Cincinnati and the Redskins. The Redskins have to be better offensively. Kirk Cousins has looked lost. Uh, with Cincinnati, I love their pass rush. I think I think Will's going to be a player. Smith, they, they bring him in from Jacksonville. He's looked great. Uh, I think Cincinnati's going to get a ton of pressure. The question for me is, can that offensive line hold up? If it does, I think Cincinnati's a playoff team. And finally, last game, Vikings-Niners. Vikings, that offense, no, no points at all in the first half. I know the 49ers have a talented front, but, geez, you've got to do something. Uh, Sam Bradford's got to be better. And with the 49ers, look, that team's going to struggle early in the year. They're going to go through some growing pains, but that defense can play. That is a good, young, athletic defense, especially in the front. I think the secondary is going to get beat up a little bit. I do really love Eric Reed, though. That front seven can get it done both in pressure and in coverage. And now to continue to talk about all things NFL, welcome in Don Banks, 16 years at SI, now Patriots.com, covering the whole league. And, Don, thanks for a few minutes of your time. Good to be with you, Matt. So, first off, got to talk about Julian Edelman. He goes down, torn ACL, he's out for the year. This seems to be a big blow for the Pats, whether you look at it schematically or just in terms of statistics over the last few years when he has missed time. But, of course, this is a team that always adapts. What is your take on how impacted they'll be with Edelman going down? Well, it, I mean, it is a huge blow. It's um, it's easy to kind of say, well, they've always adapted before, therefore they'll adapt again. Um, you, you wouldn't be wrong if, if, if you put the, your money down on that possibility, but um, it's a tremendous blow in, in, sense, in the sense that Tom Brady's security blanket has just been taken away. Will he develop the same thing now, be forced to develop that with Chris Hogan? Possibly. Does that make um, Rob Gronkowski all the more important in this offense? Absolutely. I think it really it mandates he's got to stay on the field, stay healthy, and stay productive for 16 games. Um, obviously, there's <laughs> an undrafted rookie named Austin Carr who caught a week one preseason touchdown 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 pass that got everybody excited in New England thinking here we go again we got we got our latest Wes Welker um, Edelman clone I don't even know if he's going to make the roster he might be on the practice squad this year Um, but this is a team that has proven Matt so many times that they keep the train moving no matter who they lose the temptation is to think they'll figure it out somehow the reality is it may take a while because Edelman's 
role was so instrumental, and it was so much uh, really Brady's first look on um, any key down. You know, and to build off that, and I, for the record, I agree with you. I think it's a bigger loss than some people maybe are giving it credit for. But we know in the regular season, barring total miracle, they're going to win the AFC East. They're by far the best team. They might win the division by Thanksgiving. But does the loss of Edelman in your eyes, does it impact them more long-term? We know Gronkowski has struggled to stay healthy. He's only played 16 games twice in his career. We know Amendola's had his issues throughout his career. Uh, you know, if another key piece, let's say an Amendola or a Gronk goes down, at that point I think they're pretty severely compromised. And looking at the history of it, that might be more likely than not. Do you see it as more of a depth issue more than anything more than anything else with them, especially as the year wears on and attrition takes its toll? Yes. I mean, clearly Edelman was such a key player in the postseason. If you subscribe to the theory that New England season really starts in January, and let's be honest, with two teams in their own division in the Jets and the Bills who appear to be playing for 2018 more than they're playing for 2017, I don't think the division is in jeopardy, Edelman or no Edelman, as you say. This is a team about positioning to put its best foot forward in the playoffs, and without Edelman, you take away a key cog. The thing is, the season always teaches us things that we did not know at the beginning of the year, and it is re really a chance for somebody to fill part of that role. Don't forget, Amendola was actually supposed to be the – the next Wes Welker before Edelman turned into the next Wes Welker. Um, when they signed him, they thought that role was going to be his, and Edelman really did it better, and it obviously became Brady's, you know, kind of first look. And I think this is a team that um, <laughs> weeks ago we were all we had to talk about with them was can they go sixteen and zero? Can they chase that perfect season? Which sounded ridiculous, but it didn't, given the depth that they had that depth has now been compromised a little bit and it's it's going to be interesting i think it makes things more interesting in the afc um, and it gives hope you know to the pittsburghs and the kansas cities and the perhaps even denver that um this is a patriots team that is not quite as deep as it was even a month ago when camp opened now, moving on to other things around the league the Browns have come out. They said Deshaun Kaiser is going to be our guy. He's going to start. We're not going with Brock Osweiler. You know, Kaiser has had his moments where he struggled a little bit, like you'd expect out of a rookie quarterback. But he's also looked really good at times in the preseason. Do you think it's the right move by Cleveland to tab Kaiser for Week One? I do. Um, you know, if he goes out there and shatters his own confidence because he plays so badly. It'll be a quick second guess, and it wasn't a good move. But I really feel like the Browns don't have a ton to gain by playing Brock Osweiler. And, and obviously Cody Kessler, his ceiling, I think, was <laughs> was the more he played, the more apparent his ceiling was. And so I, I think going with the rookie in this case is very defensible. It, now, look, in Cleveland, with the wheels come completely off, the kid could – suffer setbacks that you know that he may not recover from but i i liked enough of what he did um in glimpses and flashes to think that hugh jackson probably he's probably right to, to throw him into the fire find out how quickly he can assimilate and how quickly 
he can learn on the fly as a starter. He's clearly not there, um, but in Cleveland, at that position, um, given the recent 15-year history, you don't really have a high bar to hit. It is is ridiculously low, and so I would go for it, play the kid, and see what you get. I agree. I think Kaiser is the right decision for them because there really is no upside. Osweiler is not your future. You know Kessler isn't. And so, and they actually have a good offensive line. So I think he's you know behind a group that can protect for him a little bit and not get him killed like some of these other Browns quarterbacks in the past. Um, you know, but moving to the NFC side of things, uh, the NFL is going to hear Ezekiel Elliott's appeal on Tuesday. What do you expect from that? And should we see a ruling – before the season starts, is that an expectation? And if we do, what do you think uh, will be the outcome? I do think the ruling will come down before the season. I think all parties concerned, obviously, are interested in have a, have a stake in that happening fairly quickly. It should not take um, long, as the investigation did, uh, almost a year. I think that the league is bracing for it to be reduced. I, I've said four games. Then again, I was surprised when he got six games. Uh, I didn't think it was going to be that high. I didn't think they would stick to their baseline first offense because they had not, the league had not in the past, uh, notably in the in the case of Josh Brown, the Giants kicker, who got one game. So I do believe they set the, set the baseline expecting it to be reduced on appeal. And Harold Henderson, as the, um, I guess, the arbiter in this case, has a track record of, of sometimes reducing him, as, as he did in the case of Greg Hardy from 10 games to four, and sometimes leaving the punishment in place as is, as he did with the Adrian Peterson um, hearing that he had to preside over. So I think it's going to get reduced down to four games. I, I'm sure the Cowboys are hoping for even more of that, perhaps even cutting it in half to three games or two games. Something tells me that the league tried to take a, a really firm stance and make it take, you know, set the bar high, knowing it would get knocked down a little bit, that nobody could then accuse them of having gone too soft um, once again in, in an issue as sensitive and as uh, prone to blowback as domestic violence. I'm very curious to see how that all plays out. Obviously, you know, you being uh, covering the whole NFL, but working on Pat's Patriots.com, you know, sure, of course, well-versed with the Flategate. And, of course, that's something far less serious, and they would not budge off that. They wouldn't move off it. I'm curious to see if they take such a hard line in the sand here, considering, you know, what the allegations are, how serious that may be, um, you know, what proof they have. Of course, we don't know exactly, you know, what their what their stance is on everything in terms of what they have on Elliott, what they don't. But uh, – I would hope, like you said, I really hope that this is solved by the start of the season. It would be a shame if the NFL lets this carry into September and, and become a cloud hanging over the season. Um, I don't think the NFL is going to let it linger. But do I think there could be litigation coming out of even whatever Harold Henderson rules in, in terms of the appeal? Yes. I, I really think, obviously, Ezekiel Elliott's father and his camp has signaled uh, pretty clearly and pretty often that they're – prepared to go to court if they don't like the outcome uh, of the appeal hearing. And I think, um, you know, the odds are that they're not going to get a number. If they get two games, they might decide it's not worth it. Take your punishment. Um, 
don't worry about dragging this story out over the course of um, the regular season and, and get it behind you. I know I'm not expecting that number to be that low, and therefore I, I think litigation is a, is a strong likelihood. And um, while the league may not be able to, you know, be accused of dragging this story out, that doesn't mean it won't continue. It's a good point. And sadly, I agree. I think litigation is very much on the table right now. Um, you know, going a little more lighthearted, we've seen plenty of bad teams over the course of the NFL's history, you know, even the last 30 years since they went to a 16-game schedule. Um, you know, and or 40 years, rather. But only one has ever managed an 0-16 record, of course, that being the Lions a decade ago. I always say you're foolish to bet on a team or think a team is going to go 16-0. and how do you make a radio ad for an 8K TV that conveys the feeling of 33 million pixels with over a billion shades of color hitting your eyeballs? This is the best we can do. Samsung Neo QLED 8K. Unreasonably good. Or 0-16 because history just shows it doesn't happen. But if you were a betting man, do you think the Jets become the second team to go 0-16? Because I got to say, I think they're going to make a strong run at it. <laughs> I don't. I really don't. I think uh, I think the AFC is not exactly uh, a bunch of elite teams. I think there'll be somebody out there that the Jets will beat. I don't know. Maybe it's Josh McCown's best game, um, or maybe somebody else just has a roster that by time they run into the Jets in late November, early December, has been decimated by injuries. I, I, I'm with you. I, I just, you can't really calculate it. I, I think. Likely they'll get they'll get some performances from younger players that we're not thinking of right now that are better than we're expecting, and as the season goes on, the bar will go up a little bit for them. I don't think they're going to be a four-win team by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't think they're going to be a zero-win team either. I, if I had to put the uh, over and under, I'd put it at uh, two, maybe even three wins. I, I looking at their schedule, they can certainly lose to everybody they play. I just know that football doesn't usually work out that way. And I'll, and I'll say this. You mentioned the almost 40 years since the 16-game uh, schedule, but let's not forget. I, uh, I grew up in the Tampa Bay area, and I was very much a young teenager for the 76-77 Buccaneers who went 0-26 and then 2-26, winning their last two games. If you want to talk about a truly uh, abysmal, anemic a completely in over their head football team. I watched it in those two seasons, and even the the Lions, who were truly horrific, um, to me didn't sink as far as the seventy six, seventy seven Buccaneers. Well, you know, one of my favorite lines of all time was, of course, the, the Bucks coach John McKay, first coach they had, and it, some, some reporter asked him, "How do you feel about your team's execution?" He said, "I'm all for it." Yeah, I'm in uh, favor yeah. of it was the exact quote. Yep. I'll give you one other. My favorite John McKay quote was 76. They had a little kicker. It was a left-footed German named Pete Rejecki. And in preseason, Rejecki started missing games. This was their first expansion season. Somebody asked McKay about him, and he said, well, we could have a problem. Rejecki says I make him nervous when I watch him kick. Uh, that's going to be tough because I plan on attending most of our games. <laughs> so uh, John McKay was the only reason. Uh, that we survived that that first two years of Buccaneers football. 
one of the more underrated coaches two years later had him in the NFC title game. But yep, you know, with, with the Jets, just to wrap up, you know, I'm looking at the schedule and week nine, November 2nd, they play a nationally televised Thursday night game at home against the Buffalo Bills. And that might be one of the most painful things that anybody has to go through. Uh, it that's going to be, be, it could be color, could be color rush season by then too. So oh, that's gonna it's going to be Christmas. Adding, adding to misery. <laughs> oh, that's going to be bad. Um, yeah. well, Listen, I, I want to thank you for your time, uh, Don. You've always been good to me, and so I, I appreciate a few minutes. Uh, look forward to reading you on Patriots.com throughout the year, of course. Your snap judgments, one of the NFL staples for any fan out there. It's a must-read, and I uh, really appreciate your time and look forward to talking with you down the road. Thanks so much, and good luck with the, pa- with the pod, Matt. I have one myself, if I can pub it. It's called Cover 2 Podcast. Uh, on Patriots.com, a guy named Nick Stevens and I have been uh, having a lot of fun. And um, this week, we're going to have Peter King on talking about his new book, which is kind of Dr. Z, Paul Zimmerman's memoirs, which is just out, coming out this Friday, published uh, September 1st. Um, it's, it's, it's called Dr. Z, The Lost Memories of an Irreverent Football Writer. So um, I look forward to my own podcast uh, this week, talking to Peter King, my old colleague at Sports Illustrated, about another former colleague, Paul Zimmerman. That sounds like a Camus show. It sounds fantastic. Everybody listening, definitely go check that out. Uh, Anytime you can talk with Peter King and talk about Dr. Z, one of the giants in the NFL's uh, lineage has to be done. And, of course, everybody can follow you at Don Banks on Twitter for any and all NFL news. Thanks so much, Matt. Hey, thank you. All the best. Take care. Thanks again to Don for all of his insight. Really one of the best NFL writers out there. Did great work at Sports Illustrated. Now continuing on Patriots.com. And as he mentioned, doing a podcast himself, Cover 2, is really great work. And so I I implore you to to support it. Now we move to a double feature this week with Josh Hill. And before we get to his Dying on the Hill prediction, we're going to get into a conversation we were having in the office. Of course, Josh works alongside myself at Fansided in the NFL division. And one of the things we've been talking about is everybody's piling on the Jets. I talked a little bit about the Jets with, with Don earlier on, about how I think they actually might push for 0-16. But there are some other teams in the league that are getting a free pass right now in terms of the ineptitude meter because everybody's focused on Gotham. And, you know, Josh, I'll let you have the floor first, but there are some other teams that are going to be uh, tough to watch come September. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, it, it's going to get rough. I think there's a game uh, somewhere on the schedule where it's or uh, the Browns and the Bears or something like that. Christmas Eve. That's going to be rough. Of course, we know that the Bills and the Jets are going to meet twice a year, so that's, that's two times nobody's ever going to want to be near a television. I honestly think, because we were talking earlier, the Jets, everybody, you know, they're going to be 0 and 16, blah blah, all this and that. But you said it perfectly, I think, that if the Jets had just a little bit of it together, everybody would be talking about how the Bills are just this tire fire in Buffalo. That you know, in the front office, you said it earlier in the podcast, they don't care. They're rebuilding, which I guess is fine. It's not like the Jets, where the Jets are completely inept and they have no sort of vision for the future. They don't know who the quarterback is going to be. I don't think he's on the roster. Not that I know who he's going to be, but that's just logic would seem to suggest that he's not on the roster right now. But the Jets have nothing going for them. They're a ghost ship right now in the AFC East and in the entire league. Poor Todd Bowles. He's going to be done after the year. It's bad. 
But the Bills, holy cow, is that going to be a hard team to watch this year? And you have the front office basically saying that they don't care. So how do you pay for that? Bills Mafia, what are you doing? Bills Mafia, if we know anything about them, they're going to be in the parking lot having a good time. And that might be the right move out there with Pinto, Ron, and all that. Look, week one, we're going to have the Bills and the Jets squaring off in Orchard Park. Uh, we don't even know the quarterback's going to be for the Bills. Tyrod Taylor's in concussion protocol right now. Could be rookie Nathan Peterman. We could have Peterman and Hackenberg going after it week one. That's nothing against Peterman. I actually kind of liked him coming out of the draft out of pit, but that's going to be rough. You look at the Bills' schedule. And after the bye, which they have, an, oh, they have a week six bye. Actually, here, we'll backtrack it to week four. First two games, or last two games before the bye, at Atlanta, at Cincy, no chance. Come out of the bye, play Tampa, that's rough. Home to Oakland, probably rough. At the Jets on a Thursday night, that could be it for the Jets. That might be Custard's last stand. And then you got the Saints, the Chargers, the Chiefs, the Pats, the Colts, the Dolphins, the Pats, the Dolphins. I got to say, I don't think the Bills are going on 16 or anything, but I could easily see 2-14, and 3-13. And, and by the way, as we're recording this, they just traded Reggie Ragland, a second-round pick a year ago, who a lot of people thought was going to be a first-round pick out of Alabama. A lot of people thought they got great value. They trade Ragland to the Chiefs. Okay, then these two front offices worked together during the draft. Chiefs moved up 17 spots, took Mahomes. Bills moved back. They got a first-round pick next year from Kansas City, took Tredavious White, the corner at LSU. And then both teams fired their general managers. The Bills the day after the draft, the Chiefs about a month and change later. Mm-hmm. Now have new GMs, Brett Veach and Brandon Bean, and they've made a deal. The Chiefs giving up a fourth rounder in 2019. So the Bills basically said, we're going to cut him anyway. Let's just get something for him. The Chiefs said, hey, maybe he's the future behind Derek Johnson. We're, we'll see. But he was a good player in college. I'm really surprised the Bills moving on so fast. You think they'd want to get younger Mm-hmm. Give these guys a shot to play. Apparently giving up on, on Raglan as they move to a 4-3 defense. Yeah, and then, you know, I feel so bad for whoever the CBS crew they're going to throw out there. Week one for the Jets oh and the God. Bills. Oh, God, say a prayer. All of these games, like, how are you not sending the, the fourth or fifth crew for CBS? That's, you know, you're grooming somebody for the future. That's who you send out for those games. That's bad. But another AFC team that I think might be bad, I and mean, you've talked about this before, but Indianapolis that that's rough that if Andrew Luck is done or he's hurt or he can't play or anything even if he does play his decision making has been questioned over the years that's just a horrible division like the Titans they're showing some kinds of you know struggles in the preseason here but it's the preseason but outside of Tennessee Houston really Indianapolis Jacksonville come on you know as long as they're throwing out Blake Bortles in Jacksonville that's not going to happen but you know I want to stay in the AFC South for the other team that might be worse or as bad as the Jets. And it's a team I actually died on the hill, perhaps prematurely on, Jacksonville, because that defense didn't look good. The offense, who do they have? Like, they're not going to throw anybody out there that's going to give you any sort of confidence. That is a bad, bad situation. And I just don't know how they fix it, because like you said earlier in the podcast, too, they win free agency, but that's all they win. And how many times have they done that? And they have absolutely nothing to show for it, which is why I have little confidence that, yeah, okay, they throw Blake Bortles out there this year, they tank, they get a high draft pick, they take a quarterback next year. What in their history between the Mark Brunel era and the David Gerard era and now suggests that they're going to take a quarterback that's going to be any good? Mark Brunel and David Gerard and then the Byron Leftwich years. Like, what? 
Think about this. If, okay, the quarterback class coming out of college is supposedly very good. Mm-hmm. Okay, you've got Josh Allen out of Wyoming. You've got Josh Rosen out of UCLA. Luke Falk, some people like out of Washington State. And then Sam Darno is the apple of everyone's eye out of USC. Okay, there's a real chance you've got four, maybe five quarterbacks. We'll see Lamar Jackson in Louisville. Mm-hmm. Some people are high on him. Very athletic kid, of course. Can you imagine, like, if you're the quarterback, let's say you're Darnold, okay, and you're looking at the NFL standings week 15, and it's the Jets, the Bills, and the Jaguars. I would really consider saying, you know what, I'm, I'm good. Mm-hmm. I will sit another year and hope for the best because, with all due respect, nobody wants to go to Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Jacksonville, the weather is great, but it's not exactly a city that you think of when you think of a great time. And on top of that, the team – has just been terrible now mm-hmm. for a decade. And the Jets, like yeah, it is New York at least. You do have New York. But again, you're just you have nothing. You have yeah. no help. I think it's I think it's rough. I think Cleveland is better than all three of those teams. Oh, yeah. Everybody gets on Cleveland about how bad they've been. I think Cleveland is better than all those teams. And I'll give you a team that I think is bad and will be bad early, but it'll be better as the year goes on, is San Francisco. Mm. The defense is really good. I yeah. love Solomon Thomas. Reuben Foster's a player. Eric Reed in the back end can play. I do think the rest of the secondary is bad. But that front seven, Navarro Bowman, Aaron Lynch, DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead, they have a nice group defensively. And Kyle Shanahan should get the best out of that offense. I think the worst team in the NFC, unfortunately, uh, where the fan-sided office is located <laughs> – I think the Bears are going to be absolutely horrendous uh, unless, unless somehow Mike Glennon steps up. But I, I don't think Mike Glennon's stepping up. No, there's that, you know, the SNL skit where Chris Farley's choking on his sausage and he's <laughs> smacking his chest. That's going to be Bears fans all over the place. But they're, except they're not going to be stopping the sausage. They're going to be welcoming it because, you know, they're not going to want to watch Mike Glennon go out there every single week. And I don't think he's going to go out there every single week. They might... I think, you know, we talked about this earlier uh, in, the year, in the podcast, Dying on This Hill iterations, that Mike Glennon should start the season. And they should ease into Mitchell Trubisky if they play him at all this year. Because one thing that when Deshaun Kaiser was announced as the starter in Cleveland, I thought, don't rush him in there. Don't put him in there too soon, and you ruin him. Like, I get the idea of baptism by fire, throwing him in there. Cleveland, I think it's a great situation because they actually do have a team that could win that's not going to go out there. He's not going to be a sacrificial lamb on offense. Mitchell Trubisky in Chicago, I mean, now that they lost Cameron Meredith, that's not going to be a situation where you're going to want Mitchell Trubisky learning the ropes the wrong way. Granted, Mike Glennon's a smart guy on the sideline with the clipboard, but put him on the field, holy cow, that's going to be bad. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. The Bears... It's it's not going to be pretty this year in the Windy City. By the way, not to circle back and pile on, but as we're recording this again, the, the Bills very active right now. They just signed Keith Wenning, a quarterback, because T.J. Yates and Tyrod Taylor are both in the concussion protocol, so the only healthy quarterback they have is Nathan Peterman. They signed Keith Wenning. Now, you're probably asking yourself, who the hell is Keith Wenning? Well, I'm about to tell you. He's 26 years old. He played at Ball State from 2010 to 2013. His uh, highlight was that he was an all-Mac second-teamer. Um, he was drafted in the sixth round somehow by Baltimore. Baltimore realized their egregious error in May of 2015 and cut him. He latched on with the Bengals. He stayed on their practice squad for a year. Then with the Giants, who's was on their practice squad for a couple of months, let him walk. Now a Buffalo Bill. There's a real chance Keith Wenning is active 
for week one. You could be looking at a game with the Bills and the Jets where the active quarterbacks are Christian Hackenberg, Josh McCown, Nathan Peterman, and Keith Wenning. And I got to tell you, that might be the first game in NFL history that I've been alive for, and I'm 29 years old, where I think the NFL should pay the fans. They should also apologize at the door. That is go- Introducing Under Armour's Infinity High Sports Bra. Its ergonomic design is molded to support the natural movement of your body. With cord-out padding, the better breathability eliminates extra bulk without sacrificing support. And quick-dry padding is Under Armour's fastest-drying padding yet. When you're lifting heavy, running fast, and pushing yourself further than ever before, you need a bra that will help you go that extra mile and make you feel your best. Shop the Infinity High Sports Bra now at UA.com. going to be so bad. And one of them's got to win. Somebody's coming out of that game 1-0, although it would be the ultimate irony if they just tie. It's like a 0-0 stalemate, but that one, somebody will will figure out how to score 10 points. Yeah, yeah, you know, somebody's going to figure something out in that one. Uh, Yeah, that's that's brutal. I also know more about Keith Winning than I ever thought I was going to do. I didn't know who he was when I woke up this morning. So until this moment right now. I didn't know who he was until five minutes ago when they signed him. I I pride myself on knowing him. I'd never heard of him. Oh, God, that's going to be bad. Well, you know, the, the hill that I'm going to die on this week now all of a sudden seems a lot less terrible. So say that, say uh, what you will for that, Vikings fans. But that's the, the hill that I'm dying on is that offense in Minnesota is going to be the Achilles heel, and it's going to be the reason why this team doesn't make the playoffs. Everybody was hot on them last year when they started out 5-0, and rightfully so, because they, they were doing things right. They figured something out. Something happened. I don't know what happened, and that unsolved mystery of why they went from 5-0 and to basically falling off the face of the earth, I didn't hear anything about that since then. There wasn't any huge changes in the offseason. There wasn't any kind of talk of, oh, yeah, this is what happened. We fixed it. It's done that problem might still exist in the locker room. And I don't think that that's something that you should just skirt over and say, oh, yeah, you know, they just fell off last year. That, that team gave up last year, and that was a playoff team with Mike Zimmer, who's one of the better head coaches in football. And now watching their last preseason game, which, granted, it's a preseason game, so you can't really judge it too harshly. But the starters were out there, and they scored three points, 12 drives, three points. Sam Bradford's what being efficient but he can't score like it was bad and I think that Vikings fans you have a lot to worry about with that offense you know I have struggled to pin down the Vikings they're one of the three or four teams in the NFL I feel like I really can't get a good beat on but I I agree with them offensively I think they'll stay in the playoff race just because I think the defense is really good and I agree Zimmer is one of the better coaches in the league but you know, you look at Bradford's stats last night, you can say 17 to 21. That's terrific, but for 134 yards. And, and that's where the concern is with Bradford. Look, he's accurate. He completed more than 70% of his throws last year. There's no question that the former Oklahoma standout can place the ball well, especially on short and intermediate throws. He's got a good arm. My big concern with them is the same concern I have. And you said, you know, you wonder why they went from 5 to 8 and 8. My feeling on that is their offensive line just completely fell apart and teams realized how to exploit it. They signed Riley Reef this offseason, but I don't know that they fixed the problems on that line. And when I look at Minnesota, I simply see a team that is going to struggle consistently blocking last night against the 49ers, 16 carries on the ground, 50 yards, 3.1 yards a carry. It's not good enough. And so I also share concern, maybe not the year level, but I share concern with Minnesota that I don't exactly know what the identity of this team is offensively. 
Yeah, I mean, and it's going to be a huge problem because the defense, I have questions about the defense too because Anthony Barr kind of had a down year last year, so he needs to come back and do something. You've got uh, Trey Waynes is a decent cornerback, but he's maybe a liability. So there's there's questions on the defense. And then, of course, the, the, the defensive line is should be good. They're a heralded unit, but it seems like they're heralded in name only and they don't really – back it up with, you know, supporting that offense. Granted, it's a terrible offense to have to support, but the offensive line, I agree, that's that's the big question that I have. It's not set. It was supposed to be set. Uh, preseason game number three is when Mike Zimmer said the unit's going to be playing together. This is who we want to go into the regular season with, and I hope to God that's not who you want to go into the regular season with. Riley Reef's coming off of an injury. Maybe that had something to do with it. Mike Remmers is terrible. Uh, their center, Nick Easton, what? <laughs> like, the good luck with that. And then you also have the Sam Bradford problem, which is that he's painfully normal. He's so average. So he had last year, his yards per, per uh, attempt or average was 19th in the NFL, which is below somebody who else likes to throw the ball very short, who you talk about all the time, Alex Smith. Alex Smith is a better thrower in long yardage situations than Sam Bradford. You don't want to be in that situation. He has a high completion percentage, which everybody gets all hot and bothered about, but it's for low yard averages, and that's a problem, especially when Stephon Diggs is dropping passes, when Adam Thielen is your number two wide receiver. Laquan Treadwell, he's showing flashes, but that needs to be a relationship that they grow over the course of this season. We're in preseason game number three. This isn't like, you can say, oh yeah, they're just coming out, Kyle Shanahan confused them with his schemes, which in a preseason game, all right. But this team gave up last season, and now they're showing slow signs in the preseason, they're not gelling together, they have questions. The season starts in a couple of weeks. They play a Monday night football game against New Orleans, and then they go, against, they go on the road against Pittsburgh. That, you know, when are you going to wake up and start playing and gelling and getting things together. So there, there's a lot of questions on that offense, and I don't think that it's a playoff team right now. The defense is great. It's gonna, the defense, to me, is going to be the difference between the Vikings losing and the Vikings getting blown out. And it, they're going to be losing, not getting blown out because of the defense. But, you know, other than that, they got nothing. Well, you know, last year, start 5-0, and finished, as we talked about earlier, 8-8. Eight and eight, Okay, now – you look at when they started to lose week seven, right after their bye, that Philadelphia, that offense, the rest of the year, here are the point totals. 10, 10, 16, 20, 30 in a win over Arizona, 13 in a loss to Detroit, 15 in a loss to the Cowboys, 25 against Jacksonville, six at home against Indianapolis, 25 in a loss to Green Bay, some of that garbage time points. And then they did score 38 at the end of the year to beat the Bears, but my bigger concern is I'm looking at this list of their rushing leaders in these games. Here are the quick rundown totals of their leading rushers from week seven on when the, when the losing started. 55, 42, 30, 16, 44, 31, 41, 37, 22, 50, 89. You have no chance with Sam Bradford as your quarterback when your leading rusher has 16 yards in a game. And without doing the average, I would say maybe the average is 40-some-odd yards in those games. That's your leading rusher. The Vikings are putting way too much pressure on that defense. And I agree with you. Like, that defense 
is good, and it's going to keep him in games. But if, if that offense is as bad as it was the last 11 games of last season, it's not going to matter. The NFC is too good for that. And then you have to wonder, too, what happens if somebody on that defense gets hurt? So Harrison Smith goes down late last season. What if something happens to somebody on that defensive line and you, all of a sudden you have a gigantic hole and then you have no chance? So the defense, they're keeping them in games for the most part. I know some of those, those, those uh, points that they gave up late in the season were a little egregious, but it kind of goes back to what we were saying about Jacksonville a couple of weeks ago. It's hard to be a good defense when you're giving the ball to the team on their own 20. So... The offensive line is what needs to get figured out here. It was a problem last season. They went out and they signed Alex Boone was their big off-season acquisition, and then that ended up being nothing. I think they had Jake Long on the team at one point. That ended up not doing anything. They're a cubicle divider, and that's not what you want when Sam Bradford, who is for as average as he is and as high as his completion percentage is, let's not forget that his knees are made of glass. So you don't want that guy getting hit a lot. And so far in the preseason, he's been sacked a lot. And, you know, maybe teams are pulling off a little bit and they're not hitting him as hard as maybe they would in the regular season. But over the course of 16 weeks, if he consistently gets hit, his body is going to break down and you have nothing behind him. And like you said with the running game, if the offensive line isn't getting up to snuff, Dalvin Cook, as good as he is, how is he going to get any rushing yards? Say what you will about Adrian Peterson falling off a cliff because of age these last couple of years, but it's not like he was running against uh, behind that 90s Dallas def- uh, offensive lines. He doesn't. There's no offensive line in Minnesota. That's the big problem here. And you have everything seems to be resting on that on offense <clears throat> when you have Pat Schumer, who's your offensive coordinator, and you know he's not terrible. He had some good years in in Philadelphia. Second ranked offense in 2013, fourth in 2014, went to 12th in 2015, oddly enough, the year that Sam Bradford started most of the games. But you look at the teams that he had in Philadelphia. You don't think Pat Shermer in Philadelphia, oh, yeah, it's kind of similar because they didn't have any home run hitters. But in 2013, that was Nick Foles, Sean uh, McCoy, Deshaun Jackson. You had Riley Cooper, who was good for a couple of years there. They had three pro bowlers in 2014. There's nobody on this offense that I'm looking at, and I'm going, they're definitely going to the Pro Bowl. Last year, the only person that went to the Pro Bowl was Cordero, Patter- uh, Cordero Patterson, and they got rid of him. He's in Oakland now. So I, I just don't think that this Vikings offense is something that anybody is going to be afraid of. They figured it out halfway through the season last year. It's not like they went out and changed anything significant or added any kind of weapons in the offseason to change things up. So that's a big problem. And when you're in a division with... Green Bay, who's going to win, and Detroit, who you know on a year-to-year basis is you know 50-50 on contending. They're no nothing to sneeze at. The Minnesota better be thankful that Chicago is going to be as bad as they are, because that might be the only thing saving them from finishing in the basement in the NFC North. Well, as always, an explosive <laughs> dying on your hill situation with Josh Hill. So the Vikings. Getting the shaft from a man who's from Minnesota, might I add. So direct all your hate, uh, hate mail at him. It'll be interesting to see how things play out. I, uh, I tend to agree with Josh that the offense is really going to struggle. I think the defense is really good. I think the Vikings will be in playoff contention if that offense can simply get anything going. I like Dalvin Cook, um, at least on the field anyway. But I'm, I'm curious to see how things play out for them. And you know that, that conference is just so loaded. 
Seattle, a really good team. I think Arizona is a very good team, bouncing back. Every one of those teams in the NFC South can play. Even the Saints, who I, I think are a little shy of, of playoff caliber. Uh, you know, That's Drew Brees. That's Sean Payton. That's a team that can beat anybody on any given Sunday. And, I, and the other three teams, I think, are all playoff caliber. You know, we, we just talked about the North Green Bay, excellent team. Detroit made the playoffs last year. And the NFC East, I think Washington's going to take a step back, but the other three teams all could make the playoffs. And all of them really could, could challenge once in the playoffs if Carson Wentz can take that next step. So I'm very interested to see how everything plays out uh, in the NFC, which really you could make an argument for a good half dozen teams to get to the Super Bowl. Now, for my parting shot, you can't make that argument in the AFC. The AFC clearly has one big, strong, powerful, overwhelming favorite in the New England Patriots, even with Julian Edelman getting hurt. And, of course, earlier in the show, talked to Don Banks about it, and Don's feelings were very similar to mine, honestly, in that it is a big loss, and it does hurt them, and it makes them very thin now offensively in terms of playmakers if somebody were to go down, if another guy goes down, an Amendola, a Gronk, even a Cooks. But even with um, excuse me, even with Edelman hurt, the Patriots are going to win the AFC East probably by six games. They are going to get a bye in the AFC playoffs. They will, in all likelihood, be a number one seed. In fact, I don't think there's any chance there's not an they're not a number one seed if they win opening night against Kansas City, and they should win opening night against Kansas City. I think the Chiefs are a good football team, but I don't think they're New England. And it's at Foxborough, opening night national television. Uh, you know, the Chiefs have given the Pats a tough time in the past. But the Patriots should be ready for this game. And, and I expect the Pats to give their best effort. And if they give that, they'll win. Um, and if they win that game, the only other team you could say even could challenge them is Pittsburgh. Well, they always beat Pittsburgh. They've dominated Pittsburgh. So and they beat them twice last year. They beat them the year before that. I believe they, they've won their last four matchups against them. They've blown them out on a few occasions, including last year's AFC title game. So it's hard for me to really see anybody else getting to the number one seat, which means the playoffs go through Foxborough. Now, that established which teams in the AFC could legitimately give New England a run for its money. When I look at the AFC, I see a lot of bad teams. We talked about some earlier. I talked about that with Josh. Buffalo, the Jets. Cleveland, I think, is better, but still still a bad team. Jacksonville, Indianapolis. I am not big on Houston. I think Houston has a pop gun offense. I think the defense is good, but I think the defense can only do so much. I think they're a weaker version of the Vikings in the AFC. And I think they've been living off of the fact that the defense or that division has been awful for years. It's no longer awful. Tennessee can play. Although, I, I will say... Tennessee in the preseason, it has been a slog for them to score a point. Now, they've been playing without Corey Davis and Eric Decker, but this is a run-first team anyway. They have been abysmal. But I do think Tennessee is the best team in that division. I think they'll win the division, host playoff game, et cetera. The AFC West, you're going to get some people who talk about the Raiders as a challenger to the Pats. Here's my problem with that. They play no defense. And I don't trust Jack Del Rio to go against Tom Brady in the playoffs. In fact, he did. Years ago, when, when New England was marching to its perfect season, or almost perfect season, and Tom Brady in that game damn near completed every single pass that he threw against the Jacksonville defense that was much better than the, Jackson, than, the, than the Oakland defense of 2017. I think the Raiders should score some points, but the Pats are a rough matchup for them. 
They can throw Butler and Gilmore at the receivers. They can take care of Cooper. Introducing Under Armour's Infinity High Sports Bra. Its ergonomic design is molded to support the natural movement of your body. With cord-out padding, the better breathability eliminates extra bulk without sacrificing support. And quick-dry padding is Under Armour's fastest-drying padding yet. When you're lifting heavy, running fast, and pushing yourself further than ever before, you need a bra that will help you go that extra mile and make you feel your best. Shop the Infinity High Sports Bra now at UA.com. Crabtree, I don't know that Marshawn Lynch will be a factor at that point in the year. Does he have enough left in his legs? Maybe he does. But I, I don't know if I feel comfortable betting on that. Um, Derek Carr in his, in his career has not been good against good teams. Uh, he has been, in fact, very subpar against good teams. Uh, he's only won two games in his last two years against eventual playoff teams, and they were both quarterbacked by Brock Osweiler. Brock Osweiler is not quarterback in the Patriots in January. And so I have real concerns about Oakland. I really believe that the only two teams – that can give New England a run for its money in the AFC are the Steelers and the Chiefs. I think the Steelers are probably a little bit of a better team than the Chiefs. At least you have to, you have to give them that credit right now. They, they have a better quarterback. The coaches are fairly even. I would take Reed, but Tomlin's no slouch. Um, offensively, the Steelers are the most prodigious team in the league. They, they have weapons everywhere. Um, my concern with, with Pittsburgh is – the secondary. They, they can't cover. And they were torched last year by New England and by Chris Hogan at over 180 yards in the game. Kansas City actually matches up better with New England in a lot of ways. When you look at the AFC, it's weird, but try to think of it in, in this sense. If you're the Chiefs, you'd rather play New England than Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh takes advantage of all of your weaknesses. They run the ball really well. They can spread you out. and It makes it harder to pass rush against them. It's a tougher matchup for Kansas City to deal with. And the Chiefs are not going to take advantage of a bad secondary as much as a team like New England would. New England is much better suited to play them. If you're New England, you'd rather play Pittsburgh. You would rather see the Steelers because you match up with them better. And the Steelers would much rather see the Chiefs than they would New England for the reasons I talked about earlier. So I actually think the biggest threat to New England in the AFC is Kansas City. I think Kansas City is the toughest draw for the Patriots. I still think the Patriots are the best team and should beat Kansas City. I don't want to get that twisted, but I think that New England could be caused some problems by the way the Chiefs play. They don't have to blitz to get pressure, provided Justin Houston's healthy and he's looked very healthy in this preseason. They have Chris Jones, an emerging young interior defender who gets a lot of pressure up the middle. You look at the secondary, not too many teams especially in the AFC, match what the Chiefs bring to the table. I would say only Denver has as good of a secondary. Marcus Peters, it's a first-team all-pro corner, and he makes plays. He can change the game. Eric Berry, first-team all-pro safety, likely a future Hall of Famer. Eric Berry changes the game when he's on the field. The Chiefs have guys like Derek Johnson, one of the better linebackers in coverage. So the Chiefs can do different things to slow New England down. And that's, frankly, why I'm so interested in this week one matchup. I think the Patriots are the better team. They should win. But without Edelman, that changes a lot of the way that I expect the Chiefs to defend them. I expect Peters to be on Cooks. I expect them to bracket Gronkowski a lot of times with Derek Johnson and Eric Berry. 
And for them to say, you need to beat us one-on-one with Danny, Danny Amendola and Chris Hogan. And maybe they can. But Terrence Mitchell came on in the latter part of the year for the Chiefs last season, played very well in the playoffs against Pittsburgh, got matched up against Antonio Brown a lot in that game and played well. Steven Nelson, an up-and-coming slot corner. I think the Chiefs will give the Pats a hard time in that game. I do think New England finds a way to win. But let's say down the stretch, New England loses Gronk for a time, loses Amendola. Maybe an offensive lineman or two get hurt. Now, that's a lot of ifs. But I think with New England, those are real ifs because Amendola and Gronkowski, since 2012, those two players have combined for one 16-game season. At some point, it's very likely that New England's playing with neither of them or only one of them. And, of course, Edelman already out for the year at the torn ACL. I think the AFC is a tier conference. Tier one, New England, far and away. Tier two, Kansas City and Pittsburgh. And then it's everybody else to an extent. Because I don't think anybody else has a real shot at getting the Super Bowl. Oakland could if the defense was better. But it's not. Denver could if the offense was better. But it's not. The AFC is very easy to define, much easier than the NFC where you have a bevy of teams that could all argue that they are going to represent their conference in Super Bowl 52 in Minneapolis. I find the AFC to be very boring at the bottom of the conference. I think the bottom half is bad. I think the wild card picture will be middling, although I do think the Raiders will clearly be um, the more dangerous of any of the wildcard teams. I like what Cincinnati's doing defensively, but I just, I'm sorry. I cannot pick them to win a playoff game. How could you? Uh, Marvin Lewis is the longest tenured current head coach other than Bill Belichick right now, and he's never won a playoff game. He's 0-7. You're going to pick them to go into Pittsburgh or New England or Kansas City and win a playoff game? I'm not. So I think the AFC is really about those three teams. And you know, I thought Don had a great line earlier in the show, and he said, the season always teaches us something that we don't know at the beginning of it. Which AFC team that I'm not particularly high on right now is the team that shows us and me something? Is it Tennessee? Does Tennessee make that jump from being what I think is going to be a good team to a really good team to maybe being ahead of schedule? Does Houston surprise me? Does Cincinnati finally get there? Does Joe Flacco rediscover his old form? Does Trevor Simeon get better? Does that offensive line get better? Right now, I don't trust any of those teams. And I think New England is leading the pack. They've blown a wheel a little bit here. They've blown a tire with Edelman going down. And now the Chiefs and the Steelers, a little more light at the end of that tunnel. But, of course, that tunnel ends in January, and in all likelihood, it's going to end in Gillette. Once again, thank you very much to everybody who joined us today. Josh Hill, as always, every week. Don Banks, formerly of SI and now of Patriots.com, covering the entire league, though, at the team site. Thank you for listening. It's been a pleasure. We've been here now for two months. And couldn't enjoy it any more than I do. Hopefully you feel the same. By all means, if you have any comments, any ideas, anything you want me to add to it, subtract to it, I'm always open to hearing to what the listeners have to say. Tweet me at Matt Verderam uh, or fire me an email. Uh, email address is right in my Twitter bio. Uh, again, 
We're getting close to the football season as we record this 10 days away from Kansas City and New England kicking it off. Um, really just can't wait to finally get some real football going. And uh, last note, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast, uh, comment on it, uh, leave a rating. Unless you think it sucks, then don't because don't be that guy. Um, but uh, thank you very much. And we will be back next Monday. Finally. Football week, only a week away. I'm Matt Verderam. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of Stacking the Box. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.